Before the start of this next episode, I wanted to thank you all for taking the time to listen, comment, share and give me feedback on this podcast, Protect and Serve. When I set out on this journey to create a new and fresh podcast on the lives of our men and women in policing, I would never have thought it would have received as much support as it has. My goal now is to get more and more people to support the show, so I in turn can support two incredible organisations, PTSD 999 and Trojan Wellbeing, both supporting men and women of our emergency services who are affected by mental health from the challenges they face in their professional lives. So please, if you haven't already, like, follow and share the show so we can all help those that help us when we need it most. It means so much to me and it means so much to them. Thank you. Welcome to Protect and Serve, the podcast that delves into the incredible lives of police officers across the United Kingdom and around the world. I'm your host, Oliver Lawrence, and together we will embark on a journey to explore the untold stories of those who dedicated their lives to protecting and serving their communities. You may be sitting there wondering why I chose to start this podcast. Well, let me share with you a little bit about myself. I served as a uniformed officer for over a decade. During my time, I witnessed firsthand the immense sacrifices that officers make daily. From confronting dangerous situations to offering a helping hand, their dedication is unwavering. These experiences left a profound impact on me, even after I hung up my uniform. I created the podcast to shed light on the extraordinary work of police officers, not just in the United Kingdom, but across the globe. Each episode will feature riveting interviews with these brave men and women, offering you a glimpse into the challenges they faced, the triumphs they celebrated, and the personal journeys that brought them to this noble profession. But it's not just about the heroic moments, it's about the individuals behind the uniforms. We'll explore their passions, their motivations, and their unwavering commitment to protecting and serving their communities. This podcast isn't about promoting any particular agenda or glossing over the often complex nature of policing. Instead, it's a platform to celebrate the diverse perspectives and experiences that exist within the law enforcement community. We will address the tough questions, engage in honest and courageous conversations, seeking to understand the myriad of roles and responsibilities that come with being a police officer. Whether you're a fellow officer, someone aspiring to join the police, or a curious listener seeking to gain insight into the lives of those who wear the uniform, Protect and Serve has something for everyone. So join me as we embark on this eye-opening journey, sharing stories that will inspire, enlighten, bring a tear to the eye, and create a better understanding of the dedication and sacrifices police officers make to keep us safe. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Together, we'll explore the heart and soul of those who proudly protect and serve. Well, welcome to another episode of Protect and Serve, and again, another week, and this time, two fantastic guests. And, and I've got to throw my hands up and say that occasionally I get caught up, as I think we all do, when you see a tweet or you see something on social media and you think, this is outrageous. I've got to get on board this while the train is humming along the train tracks. And recently, it was about the bleep test and sort of standards and this sort of perception that standards are slipping in policing and that, that the... Um, 
the achievement levels of what we need to to run to in order to maintain a suitable level of fitness not only to get into the police but also then to sustain a prolonged period of fitness through what is arguably one of the most difficult jobs uh, you know physically and mentally for most people that undertake this you know incredible vocation but I was, you know, what I found more fantastic about, you know, Twitter and jumping on some of these bandwagons is, is the organizations that pop up that I've never heard of that often provide the level of context that we're all missing. And and, and so important to educate ourselves on health and well-being and what is good, bad and indifferent. And ultimately, what is the facts? And I have two remarkable ladies that reached out to me and I, I was pointed in their direction by a chap up in Scotland uh, to bleep kind. And I'm joined by Jennifer and Carly both operational police officers. And I just want to point out that neither of them are on the podcast representing either uh, Northumbria or the Met. They're here independently as bleep kind. So Carly, first of all, to you, welcome to the Protect and Serve podcast. How was your Christmas? Thank you. Um, it was lovely. Um, very busy. Uh, I've got three fairly small children. Um, <laughs> it was lovely because we were just kind of in a our bubble with the five of us and the dog, um, which we haven't done before. So that was really lovely, but busy. Um, but yeah, great. Thank you. So Carly, just quickly before we move on to Jen, tell us a little bit about your professional background. Yeah, so um, I'm currently a community engagement sergeant in Northumbria um, with 16 years service. Um, I've always been um, frontline operational in either response or neighbourhood um, teams since I since I joined the job. Um, I'm now in a in a kind of more Monday to Friday role um, to to accommodate some of my family needs. Um, but hopefully, as the the kids get older and we manage to sort some of those things out, then. Um, I'm hoping to kind of move back more more operationally again in the future. Um, so yeah, that that's me really. And Jen, welcome to the Protect and Serve podcast. Obviously, you and I have been conversing for a while. I'm an, I'm a huge fan of of following you on Twitter, and, and equally a huge fan, and want to speak later on in the season to your mum, who's just completed, <laughs> I think, more than forty years of of policing service in the Met, 40 which forty eight years, you know, just phenomenal. But but more about you. Tell us about yourself and your background. Uh, so I'm a response team sergeant um, in the Metropolitan Police. Uh, I've got nearly, well, 16 years service. Um, and I've been frontline on response team um, for my whole service. So, and I've got four children, uh, four very boisterous boys, uh, seven and down. So, yeah, it's very busy. It's very chaotic. But, yeah, I've been, I've been a frontline operational police officer for my whole service. So tell us, Jen, how did Bleepkind come about before we talk about the whole bleep test and the, and the tweets that have been coming out recently? So it, it, it's, it's quite ironic that we're here as a result of all of the tweeting and stuff that's going on because it's actually how Bleepkind started in the first place. Um, I was on Twitter. Uh, I, think, I think I was on my maternity leave for my third um, little boy and um, there was an anonymous account and they tweeted something about being worried about the bleep test or it, it was something really, you know, just, oh, I'm really, I've got my bleep test tomorrow and I'm worried about it. You know, it was that. And it, it was obviously um, just after sort of, well, it was still in COVID, I guess, in sort of 2021. Um, and I remember watching and seeing all of the abuse, like the abuse was unreal from um ex people who said they were ex-police officers like retired police officers some people said they were serving police officers some weren't even anonymous serving police officer accounts um and 
I was I was actually horrified and I sort of sat there um in my little maternity bubble just sort of thinking my goodness like how must that person who was already worried about something now feel um I don't know what force they were in um and in fact they dropped off Twitter after that I, I never saw them again but I sort of I'd been um, battling with a lot of things like postnatal depression and stuff so it made me think about me returning to work and um you know how I was going to feel about the bleep test um I've never failed the bleep test but I, it's terrified me every single time I've I've ever done it before um so I thought well I'll I'll write a blog about it um and you know it, it, if this person just sees it and thinks oh okay there's someone else out there who's like me even if it's just one person it might make them feel a little bit better um so I wrote this blog about my own experiences um you know about some of the things that I'd heard you know you shouldn't be a police officer um you know you can my favorite is you can walk it backwards on one leg and and all of this and I just thought you know I've had three babies um three big babies as well um and pregnancy that it, and having you know giving birth does a lot of things so I wrote this blog and um I put it on Twitter and I got a lot of abuse <laughs> which I you know w was expected um but there were a few people not as many as do it now not that it wasn't as many as now who will go oh no actually I've got issues with it as well but there was a couple of people who were like oh yeah I think I get this actually you know I'm, I'm on maternity leave or I had a baby or I'm an older woman uh and then I'll let Carly tell the next bit of the story because it belongs to her far away Carly <laughs> yeah so I was very lucky that I came across I don't think I was friends or, or followed Jen on Twitter or anything at the time and I'm I'm not a big Twitter user um but I happened to come across her um her blog that she wrote and I thought it was incredible um and she signed it off with the hashtag bleak kind and that really kind of stuck in my mind um you know and I, I thought it was great um at the same time, kind of in a work situation, I guess I've always had quite a lot to do with with health and well-being in my force. I'm generally very kind of interested in it. I like to think I'm kind of quite, quite supportive, particularly of other women in the organisation. Um, and as Jen mentioned, it was coming towards where, a time where um, COVID restrictions were starting to, to be lifted. And people within my force, I think it worked the same in many other forces across the country, had been given kind of a year's reprieve from doing the bleep test and officer safety training. Um, and during that time, during COVID, um, you know, people's priorities had changed. Um, they had their caring responsibilities had changed. They perhaps had family members with COVID. They perhaps lost family members and friends, you know, during COVID um and uh, you know fitness had begun to slip down people's lists of priorities it was that thing during covid wasn't it you were e either a fitty or a fatty um you know you either kind of went over the top with exercise and it was a, a great way to get out of the house and stuff or or you didn't because you know your fears around covid and everything else um just took over in my force, we moved to 12 hour shifts on response. So, you know, with commuting time and things like that as well, that can easily lead to a 15 hour day out of the house. Um, people struggled with managing their time. People struggled with managing their health. And all of a sudden, people started to get warnings for their fitness test again. 
um, you know, their, their fitness tests and their officer safety training. And it probably induced more anxieties at that time than it had done previously. Um, and I think a lot of people knew that I had an interest in it and had supported people with it before. Um, and they contacted me and said, you know, do you know of, of any um, support available? You know, what are the arrangements around it? I'm nervous about being back in a room with that many people and running the, the bleep test again where we're all kind of breathing heavily etc am I going to have to wear a face covering and all these kind of things um so I contacted our specialist training team and asked kind of you know what would be put into place and in terms of people's increased anxieties around the bleep test unfortunately at that time um and I have to hasten to add that things in my thoughts have changed very much since but at that time I was met with um similar attitudes to what Jen has just described you know essentially if you can't walk it backwards in your underpants then um you know you you don't deserve to be a cop um you know so I thought well do you know what what always works for me you know and my anxieties around the bleep test are that I have a good whinge to my other half about it and then I kind of get on and do it anyway um so I decided to set up a, a private Facebook uh, group which I thought would probably consist of about me and possibly about 10 others, um, you know, probably only females because it's only really females, it seemed at that time, had a particular issue with it. Um, and I thought we'll all join this private Facebook group, we'll have a whinge and then we'll get on and do it anyway. Um, within 24 hours, we had um, over 100 members. Within a week, we had... 300 members within a month we had nearly a thousand members um so by the time we got to a couple of hundred members within the first week or so um it, it got to it started to get a bit out of hand um and it, and I messaged Jen um and I said listen I read your blog this is what's happened um and firstly, can I steal your hashtag as as the name for the group because I think it's great um and and she said yeah absolutely you're welcome to it um so then as the membership started to grow and I started to feel it was all getting a bit out of hand I messaged her again and said Jen I kind of feel this is your fault um and I think you should come and help me um and she said yeah absolutely um and as she said you know I think it was another year you know since that point before we actually met in person um and Bleak Kind was born and I think probably the most surprising thing that came out of it at that time was the amount of men who joined um and and also the amount of people that that said listen you know I've I've also never failed the bleep test um but I don't particularly enjoy it and it does give me a few sleepless nights every year um you know and uh, you know I'm a man with mental health problems um and it really affects me um, and we were really lucky in those early days to have um, men join and actually be very open and honest on the group. Um, I, and we do um, have lots of very valuable male members now, um, which I think was probably the biggest development in those in those early stages. So can we just talk about, I suppose, briefly about sort of the, the current standards, because obviously the, the, the tweets were that were flying around in the past couple of weeks were around a around lowering of those standards in terms of the achievements that one had to reach in terms of order being passed as being 
satisfactory. One thing that organizations in the law enforcement world aren't always great at doing, and I'm not going to name any in particular, is is the messaging around all this stuff. And often that's where these sort of um, snowball effects of, of Twitter storms come from is because the messaging is mixed. It's a bit inconsistent. It's only limited to four lines. So there's no context around it. And before you know it, sort of whispers have started and people have started building their own narratives around a, a, a messaging. And before you know it, what was delivered at the start is completely different at the end. And you get these pylons by these quite frustratingly anonymous accounts of people that proclaim to be experts. Uh, and before you know it, we've got a, a situation where there's a pylon and, and no one actually knows what the truth is and what is the accurate information. Jen, from, from your perspective, what are the current standards which need to be achieved and, and, and how can we, prevent and, and manage the, the, the mis-messaging that comes out from time to time? I think the thing for me is, <clears throat> is, is part of it, and I don't know if Carly will agree or not, but it's part of it is the, the use of the word standard, I mm -hmm. think. Um, because at the moment it is, it is 5.4 um, that f most forces are remaining with at the moment. Um, I know that there are some that have... Um, gone on to follow the guidance that's come out with the 3.7 um but i think there's so much sometimes i think it's willful i think people um see it as a real opportunity to make others feel small and make themselves feel big um and i think that sometimes it it is you know just because people don't know about it and, and and like you you know there's we're, we're human beings aren't we so if you read something and you go my goodness and enough people are all saying this is really you know then that's how these things happen I do think that forces the federation the college of policing I think they've got a responsibility to make sure that the messaging is out um we talk about I know that there was a lot of people in the most recent one talking about you know public confidence because now that's the big thing to beat us with isn't it public confidence and and this lowering of the fitness standard for police officers um is gonna you know really affect public confidence um but actually what's affecting public confidence is all of this narrative that's incorrect um you know and and a lot of it is aimed at women um, you know, I've seen a few sort of quite high profile Twitter accounts um, talking about, you know, fat women and, you know, it being about women and, and it, you know, the whole the whole fitness level was brought in in the first place. I think someone said um, to match that of what a retiring woman would be able to complete. First off, that's highly insulting to um, a woman who has probably done 30 years and and can do the bleep test to 5.4 quite easily because we're all very different. You know, we all have different reasons why. Um, I think it's easy to put out this right where, you know, we have got the fitness level um, at 5.4, but we're going to bring it down to 3.7. It's an easy win. But it doesn't actually deal with the actual problem. And that that is that we still have such a big problem around welfare and looking after people's well-being. Um, so the 3.7, you know, that is... That is a level. It was the same person um, who went and did the research in the first place um, that got to the 5.4 level, who has now said that the PPST curriculum um, now only requires um, it at 3.7. But it's never been a fitness standard. It's never been a, um, it, it's a require, you know, it's a, Carly always speaks more eloquently than I do about it, but it's not a fitness standard. It's not, it's, it's hugely insulting to someone like me who's worked for 16 years on one of the busiest areas in London um, 
and I've never let down a colleague. I've never, you know, but all these people who say, you know, if um, I think my favourite one from the beginning was um, where they someone said, if I'm struggling on the 54th floor with someone and the lift is broken, I need you to be able to run up the stairs and come to my assistance. Now, I, you know, I'm not a fitness fanatic, but I think that would probably be quite hard for most people. Um, but also 5.4, the point is, these people who say things like that, 5.4 is not going to make you, if you can do the 5.4, that is not a measure of your fitness that means that you're going to be able to do that. Um, and I think that I think that a lot of people are just using it for easy wins at the moment, this 3.7. I don't think they're talking about it properly. They're not, they're not explaining the real reason behind it. Um, it does the 5.4 it does discriminate against older women um that's just a fact you know and and you do get women going well I'm you know I'm 54 and, and I'm I can run it backwards and that's fantastic that is absolutely fantastic you know yay you and it's brilliant but we shouldn't be discounting the experiences of other people who do struggle with it whether that be anxiety whether that be um post maternity but it is oh, i can hear a baby crying so i'm going to mute and let carly speak in a minute so it doesn't ruin this podcast <laughs> um, but yeah it's just it's it's just infuriating that there are some of these big organizations who are not stopping this and nipping it in the bud and saying these are all inaccurate it shouldn't be me and carly sat on this podcast now doing this it should be the actual official organizations um, and that's what we found all the way along I'm rambling now and I can hear a baby. So Carly, you go. But Carly, my question, if I can just jump in is, is, is there, you know, policing has got to be one of the, well, for me, it's got to be one of the most and can be unhealthiest vocations that you can undertake because of the shift work, because of the availability of, of food at two o'clock in the morning, when you're trying to look for something to eat in between going from job to job, to job, to job, it's kind of you, cause you're, you're eating on the move and that, that doesn't, embrace often a healthy lifestyle of, of a good salad or or the ability to do exercise is there you know is, is that still the case you know how, how can we better improve the lifestyles and the eating habits and the health and well-being of our police officers on the front line yeah i think you've you've hit the nail on the head there um in that it's about culture isn't it mm. and there is nothing about the culture of policing that supports our health fitness and well-being um, I think happily um, there is lots being done about it you know lots of forces have well-being teams now for example um, so there are movements being made in the right direction um, I think the first thing to say about it is we're the only organization that demands uh, what we call a fitness standard um, without actually doing anything to support people to achieve it mm. um, so what we do is demand that people run a bleep test annually and take part in uh, officer safety training or PPST as it's now called um, annually but we don't support people within that year to maintain a level of fitness so all you're doing is getting a snapshot of somebody's um, uh, kind of exercise performance at that particular time on that particular day um it, you know in that year and there's any amount of external factors that can influence that 
Now, alongside that, you've got the culture that you kind of alluded to, um, you know, in which we're constantly on the go. We're not guaranteed regular meal breaks. The shifts are long. The work is arduous. We don't educate very well around uh, nutrition. Um, we don't provide fantastic facilities for exercising. We provide some. They're often not very good quality. And also at the end of a 12 hour shift, it, you know, or, or even at the beginning of a 12 hour shift, is that really what people want to be doing you know extra time away from from their families um you know to work out in what is probably a a garage in a backyard that's quite cold and not very well equipped and we've also got this culture around um you know things like cake finds you know you get so get something wrong at work and you get <laughs> finding cakes you know which is great and i i do actually really enjoy the humor behind it um and i, I think kind of culturally it's not negative other than you know, we have to be mindful around we're then linking food to um, kind of a reward system, mm. um, you know, reward and punishment system. And for people who potentially have uh, challenges around nutrition anyway, um, you know, that's a, a difficult situation alongside, you know, I don't, uh, you know, in my force, we call it dirty baits, um, you know, but on a, a Friday, Saturday back shift, um, you might try and get kind of some time together as a team, which normally consists of a takeaway, um, you know, and, and that's the accepted thing that you do. But we don't do anything on the flip side of that. We don't do anything. Um, you know, I remember one of the first teams that I was an acting sergeant on, um, I provided a fruit bowl every shift for the team <laughs> and they all thought I was a bit bonkers, um, you know, but it always got eaten, you know, um, but we don't really do anything on the flip side of cake finds or or on the flip side, uh, you know, of 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 kind of ta team takeaway, um, you know, we don't, team salad doesn't really have the same ring about it, does it? Um, so I think it's really interesting that we, um, you know, we are the only service, you know, amongst fire service armed forces etc that require a fitness element um but do absolutely nothing um to support our our staff to achieve that it's would you agree with me in in my observations that policing appears to be getting more physical more confrontational more challenging we're seeing for instance relentless public order matters in London every weekend requiring higher demands on our police officers in terms of not only the hours that they're having to stay awake, the challenges they're dealing with with individuals, and this stems right across the UK. Do you think there is, a, is there a place where the standards and the fitness requirements and the health and well-being of our officers does need to be taken seriously by both ourselves and forces? And how do they implement such sort of, I don't know whether you'd call it a policy or a culture without ostracizing large groups of people that may be struggling with these? Jen, I wonder whether you could answer that one. So my biggest thing around this, I do think, um, you know, I do think it, it seems a lot more challenging now. I think that um, for many, many reasons, which, you know, I, w I won't go into on this podcast, that, that there is a huge um, thing with public confidence in policing at the moment. And I also think that with that comes um, an element of, you know, when I walked down the road, police officer spoke to me when I was a kid, you know, it was like almost stunned to attention sort of thing, do you know what I mean? But we, and we've lost that. People feel, you know, we've got all the phones in our faces. People, there's not that level of respect anymore for police officers. And, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't bad ones and, and all of that, but I think that does mean that we are being assaulted more. 
but I also think things like the recording of it makes it a lot more apparent um we're recording things now that probably before people may have written off as oh it's an occupational hazard um which it obviously should never be um but I always try to go back to the point as well that um and he's a great inspector uh, in the Met. Um, he he said something on Twitter that we never had this before 2013. It was 2013, I think, where the Windsor recommendations came in, and we all existed quite happily. And I do wonder whether you know we we need to be robust and we need to be fit, but we need something that measures that properly. Um, but we also need. A change in culture in that we help each other and I think that you know what the one thing that stood out for me on, on the bleak kind in, in the early stages was was of course there was you know men coming forward but it was the helpers who were coming forward it was the um the skipper who came forward and said she's a um on the side she's a fully qualified PTI hmm. if anyone needs any help come along it was the ex-police officer who joined she's a hypnotherapist there's the um serving she's an ex-police officer but she serves um, someone else now she's a qualified nutritionist all of these people we've got all of these people in forces we should be using them you know for these things because you don't go and qualify as a nutritionist because you don't want to help people with their nutrition you don't qualify as a pti because you don't want to help people with their training mm. you know one of my teams used to um they had an ex-personal trainer on that they used to do a little circuits thing before a late shift you know no one had to go but people did because it was teamwork but it is the problem is as well across the board is it's inconsistent because why should one, you know, that team is getting that team building time, they're getting that, but that's because they've got a PTI on their team who can help them, you know, and I just think that that we really need to make it more accessible because I don't, I think there are new challenges. I think if you spoke to, for example, my mum and, you know, she would probably say, well, in my day, I just had a handbag and a, you know, and a truncheon. So it's quite dangerous for me as well. Um, but they're just different challenges now. Um, I think that, people are just we've got a younger workforce but we've also got an older workforce because of the new pension um the new pension stuff you know the direct entry people are joining they're a bit older um and i think that we just need to really push the culture where this is of course there is personal responsibility this is one thing that always people go to me out oh, is personal responsibility you haven't got any personal responsibility i know about personal responsibility because i've got four children and a husband and I work and I know what personal responsibility is but we work for organizations policing as a whole culture that takes so much out of us takes so much of our lives uh you know our freedoms and all of these things I think they have got a responsibility to give something back and I think that that should be supporting people around fitness you know support and you know to be you know the met has got some great things in in place um you know there's uh met fit the tsg are running these met fit things where um people can go to one of the bases and they run, run like exercise classes and training classes and stuff like that um and it's not a tsg circuit which they always you know i have to say that because they always <laughs> say it's not about tsg you know it's it's it is about you know just for everyone but it's not necessarily accessible to everyone in every force. So we've got this 
standard that we call it that you have to meet but you can come to the Met and I can um, go to my local TSG base regularly and do these Met Fit things. But what if another force doesn't have those things? But those people are still required to get to the same level. So it's it's not it's not fair. It's like line management lottery as well. You know, some one person might fail it. They're putting on underperformance um, plans. Another person might fail it and they'll say, oh, I'll go and run with you a few times. You know, and I just it's and and as you know, I'm really interested in maternity, paternity and all of that. And it's the same thing. We are so bad in policing at consistency, mm. at supporting our people with consistency. And I think the sooner we get to do that, the sooner someone like we put all of the jigsaw pieces together, you know, a well supported person is going to perform better. They're going to be off sick less. They're going to be less stressed. You know, and and it, and I really think it's as basic as that. Carly, I was going to ask you. You know, one one of my observations also in terms of my time in policing and outside of the police is that we have become a very litigious society. You know, we've we've caught ourselves up in so much paperwork. And I remember when I was a cadet at Gypsy Hill way back in the sort of mid nineties, late nineties, and there was a gym at the station which was actively used by all and sundry. And and but but obviously when you're using that 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 equipment sort of unsupervised and without going through inductions, you can you can become injured. And and in the 21st century, people look at opportunities to be able to sort of make a claim and suddenly you've got someone off sick who's saying they've got a back injury from using a piece of equipment in the police station. I didn't get the right training or I didn't get supported properly, etc. Is that some of the nervousness, do you think, around policing establishments across the country in terms of sort of, you know, having to think of all these areas of risk and just wanting to, to, to focus on on core policing responsibilities and allowing individuals to take their own responsibilities by having gym memberships, as an example? Yeah, I certainly think it's one of the challenges, isn't it? Um, but actually, I, I think there also needs to be some acknowledgement in, you know, in that you don't actually need lots of equipment. Um, I think what most police officers would say nowadays, what we need is time. Mm. You know, essentially, all you need is time, a pair of trainers in a backyard or a street. You know, there's plenty of body weight exercises or circuits that you could do. Um, you know, the, there's plenty of streets that you can run on. Um, it's having that that time and that kind of encouragement. Um, and I know, you know, I feel like Northumbria, um, you know, in, in my force are, are quite forward thinking with these things and quite open to ideas. Um, and I know that they're looking at using um, protected learning time that people get to to do other training um, as opportunities to do exercise, which I think is a massive leap forward. Um, but like you say, perhaps, you know, like Jen was saying, it perhaps, it, you know, it opens that chasm e even further towards, you know, between the forces that have and the forces that do and the forces that are interested and the and, and those that aren't quite there yet. And I guess that's one of the things that we try and do in Bleak Kind is, you know, is to link in with the forces, to link in with the, the right people in the forces and, and, and try and encourage that. Do we have, you know, the MPC has many different representatives on it for many different portfolios. Do we have one that covers health and fitness and well-being across the country? Yeah, so um, there's the Fitness Test Working Group, which sits under the NPCC, which are 
the group of people who were looking um, at the the bleak test and its relevancy and you know it, whether it was appropriate to continue with the use in in commissioned the research that that happened around the bleak test um, you know and interestingly you were saying uh, um, right back at the start of this conversation about messaging um and about how often um you know the issues in in policing generally are around communication aren't they and uh, and we jen and i uh, you know kind of with our bleak kind hats on if you like were asked to to come along to the fitness test working group um and that was one of the main aims was around improving that messaging that happens um you know around kind of fitness testing and and health and fitness and policing um and and the question was you know how how do we get accurate messaging to the boots on the ground um and i guess that's where with kind of the twitter debacle that's happened kind of this week hopefully jen and i have have managed to do that to a degree mm. um you know and and hopefully we can con continue to do that um you know but i think it's it's probably important to say at this stage that you know we we actually um opposed the the suggestion of the use of 3.7 um we are not radical ble uh, bleak test abolitionists um which i think some people kind of look at the name bleak kind and assume that we just want rid of the bleak test um actually we don't um what we advocate for is um an increase in fitness standards um and a setting of a an accurate and a reliable a repeatable fitness standard that's achievable um you know with the right support in the right circumstances for for all of our officers um you know it, but around that to have that supported by a culture of of health and fitness and policing because unfortunately at the moment as jen alluded to i think we're quite short-sighted in relation to it um it, it's quite simplistic in my head and i get that in reality it, it's not quite so straightforward but to me if you're investing small amounts even in people's health fitness and well-being then what you get back in terms of organizational commitment um you know less time spent off sick um you know improved teamwork and and communication and and all of that kind of stuff um you know you get back in spades just by investing relatively little um in individuals really could the sort of utopian moment be as an example of what the police could police could do across um the uk is try to organize and to um provide sort of maybe a partnership with a with a, a gym provider so that officers because gym memberships can be quite expensive in fact very expensive for people to attend is that something jen that could be looked at as, as a potential initiative to encourage better health and lifestyle or, or is it more than just giving people access to a gym it's it's about education and support in terms of having the time to be able to go to a gym I think it's a lot about time mm. um, that, you know, that is a big factor, but I do think it's, you know, it's, it's about knowledge as well. And I think, you know, there's been a few times um, where I've said something on, on Twitter about, you know, my fitness or something and you'll get someone like um, tree cop. When I, when I talked about being nervous about going to the gym, he'll, he, I remember him saying what I usually do if I go to a new gym is I go on the treadmill and I have a look around all of mm. the things that I might want to do and prepare and, you know, it always makes me think when people like um, him say stuff like that, because it makes me think we've got the people we've got. We don't need to. It would 
you know, of course, we've got blue light cards and things like that, and we get discounts in gyms. Gyms are hugely expensive. Um, but we've actually, and for people who love going to the gym, of course, that would be brilliant because we need to, you know, it's all about um, boosting pe- everyone, isn't it? It's not just about the people who maybe struggle a bit with knowing what to do, but we also need to help the people who enjoy going to the gym because it's just as expensive for them. Um, but I think we've got all of these things in place. We've got all, we've got all these people. There, there are, of course, people who are awful and you see them on Twitter and they will mock and they will all of this. But actually... I think more often than not, you've got the West response, you've got the tree cops, you know, you've got those people who'll go, well, I'll, I'll help, I'll, you know, I'll, you know, if you need any tips, or even if they say, you know, there's so much online as well, wow. um, which people can be thinking, but I still think, I remember saying something when I was coming back from maternity leave, um, I think it was my second one and I only took six months off for him and someone just said oh well you know there's when I said about is there anything um that that they do for post-pregnancy things oh no but there's loads of online YouTube videos there are but what a boost for me Mm. or any other woman coming back from their maternity leave and actually the Met um I am working um with with looking at doing something at the moment and there's already a fantastic officer uh, who I won't name who um brought in some fantastic postnatal workout things and you know really changed that that space she's absolutely fantastic but you know when I was put in touch with her it gave me a little bit of a boost in the Mm. job because I was like do you know what the job cares the job Mm. cares so I mean it was this officer who brought it in but it was supported by the job and it makes a difference if I turn up you know after my maternity leave and I'm like you know what I'm really struggling here I don't really know what I'm doing I'm you know I'm a bit fatter than I was before you know my body's like completely ruined from this baby what what is going to make me feel like a valued member of whatever police force I'm in is it going to be someone going well yeah uh, if you look on YouTube you'll probably be able to find some stuff on oh, here's 15% off um off a gym membership or is it going, oh, actually, if you email this person, they will help you with a, um, you know, a program or something or a workout or, you know, or on your area, uh, you've got three trained PTIs who have said that they would, you know, they can help you with a with a thing. That's what they're doing in some um, areas in the Met. You know, that makes me feel valued because mm. that makes me feel that, this organization that I'm giving so much of myself to cares about me they care about the impact of shift work the 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 violence that I'm going to be um you know into the the tiredness the the not being able to eat properly because you know you're you're on a a long extended shift or you sat on a crime scene things like that you know that's what that's my personal take on it and I know that it's you know all this standardized fitness tests and things but I think that the jobs everywhere could do more. Carly just you know in terms of specializations and we talk about sort of like you know if we I suppose I reflect on a on an image which came out about four or five weeks ago of trying to encourage more 
females into armed response policing so that we can get a better representation so they have sort of equal opportunities to be able to take part in 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 roles that you know 10 15 years ago were almost unimaginable and i saw this this picture of a, of a group of women who'd gone in for the day to, to have a bit of a look-see to see what it was all about and to, and to pique that interest into armed response policing and, and 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 as you can imagine the replies and the comments which were feeding down twitter were the most awful that i'd ever seen in fact to the point where i just felt that you know sort of the organization that posted the image had just turned off comments because i think you could just see what was going to come down from it from it and i just wonder is there an is is there at all a conversation which has to be had in terms of when you want to go into specializations like armed response policing like if you want to be a ctfo counterterrorism specialist firearms officer that there has to be a standard that has to, because the demands placed on that role in that heightened level of risk, that there can be no corners cut, there can be no sort of adjusted fitness qualification. It is what it is because we need to have very able bodies, be they male or female, um, coming through those doors and dealing with very serious issues. Is there is there a conversation which needs to be had around that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that conversation is ongoing. Um, I think possibly the issue is that these conversations are had behind closed doors. They're not had kind of openly. Um, mm. And then when people raise them in a public forum, as happened with, uh, you know, the, the bleep testing this week, they're, uh, they're not answered by the right people. Um, it, it, and as ever with policing, it comes down to communication and the importance of open and clear communication, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and, and at Bleakkind, what we're saying is actually we think fitness standards needs to be higher. And there is actually a fitness standard which needs to be set. Um, and fitness standards do need to be higher. But with the caveat that they need to be supported by um, the mechanisms that we've talked about. Um, you know, so we're absolutely not saying that there shouldn't be fitness standards and there shouldn't be fitness standards for specialist posts because definitely they will be. They, there needs to be. Um, when you look at things like um, TSG teams, for example, um, they uh, quite often have on duty time for training. Now, um, you know, I think that's brilliant. Um, and I think we're potentially heading down the roads of getting it right with those specialist teams. Um, that mechanism just needs to be rolled out to the wider audience, I think. Um, and, you know, as ever, you know, with policing, when we talk about um, those those things that can be put into place, then we get a lot of responses like we don't have time. You know, the shifts are really strapped for resources as it is. When do you propose that gets fit, fitted in? Well, you know, if we make it important enough, then, you know, we will make time for it. And the organisation does need to make time for it. Um, you know, we fall over ourselves, don't we, to make things very difficult. Um, as you mentioned earlier, in relation to health and safety or potential litigation, which interestingly, the whole uh, suggestion of the use of 3.7 revolves around uh, reducing the risk of litigation, not actually anything to do with fitness standards. Mm. Um, you know, so we do fall over ourselves to make things difficult. Um, whereas actually, it, when you compare fitness standards and fitness testing to other elements of our role, which we have to achieve, the two things are treated very differently. You know, if I went onto a social media platform today and I talked about how difficult I found it to pass the um, promotion exams, 
um i would probably be met with um oh come on keep going we know it's difficult but you know there are things that have you tried this have you tried that um you know it took me eight times to pass it but i did it in the end you can too you know i'd be met with very supportive comments um i would be supported through kind of the pdr process at work through um you know i would get line management um support there might be things in place again it's different across the country unfortunately but in terms of um uh, you know support provided by my force to attend crammer courses or given books or whatever um you know if there was something operationally if i was struggling for example with writing statements um i would have a lot of support put in place to ensure that i'm able to do that and i would also be asked to evidence what i'm doing to help myself and what personal responsibility i'm taking through use of the pdr system we don't do any of that with fitness um and the question has to be asked why not especially when we're talking about times where like you say, policing is getting more demanding, it's getting more physical, um, and we're doing it all with less resources. So one of the things that if I could play sort of devil's advocate here in terms of one of the things the senior management are going to turn around and say is, well, they may not say this, but one of the points that I would make as an observation is retention is the greatest challenge facing British policing as we speak today, in my personal view. And whilst you've got people pouring out the door, the demands on frontline operational staff in response and community policing is intensified. They're, you know, individuals carrying more and more investigations. So then where do they find the time in their eight or 12 hour shift whilst they're dealing with all these challenges of meeting the needs and expectations of the public to fit in a half an hour, 45 minute workout session? Is that 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 is probably the biggest challenge facing policing today in terms of that time poor scenario with officers facing a relentless wave of investigation after investigation, call after call. There just isn't that time because we don't have the people to support such infrastructure. Would you agree with that, Jen? Or is that is that am I off mark there? I do. I mean, you know, and as, as a response police officer, of course, you know, I, I know, um, you know, as a sergeant, yeah, I could probably dive off for half an hour. But um, certainly the PCs and stuff, they, you know, it's not. Um, but I do think there are ways that we can build it in. We have, um, you know, it, it's just like the catch-22 situation, though, isn't it? Because actually, if we looked after our people a bit more, then we wouldn't be losing so many. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, we have training days and we have, um, you know, personal development days and, and things like that. but you know and, and this is I have to be you know that this is nationwide this isn't just the Met you know but those days are being spent now with response team officers who are on training days are backfilling the response teams because they haven't got anyone but we need more people and the way that we stop people leaving is that we treat people properly and we look after them and we make them feel valued because I'm sure that there are people who are leaving policing at the moment because, um, you know, they've got a better job for more money or for, you know, personal reasons. But I would bet that the majority of people that you spoke to would be because they don't feel valued. They don't feel like the balance between what they're giving the job and what they're getting back is enough. And yes, we get paid, but that's not how our job works. No one joins policing for the money. Um, you know, I think that everyone would agree with that. Um, but there does come a point where you think, okay, well, I'm missing my kid's birthday. I got assaulted last week. Um, you know, I, they they won't let me do um, my flexible working pattern or, you know, blah, blah. And then they don't look after me. 
you know, they don't care about my well-being, my mental health, my fitness, but they're expecting me to be fit and they're expecting me to be well. Um, you know, so I it it is hard and I do understand about the time, but it's like Carly said, I think when I've always said, um, and Tom Gaymore, you know, also says it in roundabout mm. ways, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm. You know, and I do believe that um that it could be factored in somewhere along the line i do believe that on changeover but also you have got to also take into consideration that you know there may be some people we don't have this culture there may be some people who'll go we can't force me to go to exercise Mm. you know so you've got to deal with that as well and and by in order to deal with that you need to show the benefits of it of good nutrition of fitness you know you you might have men who'll go well i don't well i don't need any i've never failed the the fitness test i've never failed the bleep test so i'm not going to spend time in my shift doing um doing training but they don't understand that it's that it's not a fitness test it's not a standard of fitness you know i've seen some walking heart attacks male who are like in their 50s who i know full well eat takeaways all the time don't go to the gym yeah they do do the 5.4 doesn't mean they're healthy it doesn't mean that they're fit so it's about changing that culture and that is why the messaging is so important and why it's so frustrating for me and Carly um, and for all the people who, you know, we have read the papers, we have sat in the meetings, we have spoken to the researchers, you know, we've done all of those things. So then to see the messaging being put out so badly is really frustrating because it's not, it's not helping, you know, yeah, 3.7, it, we're in for the win, but it's actually not a win in the long term you know and i just think that forces by really putting stuff out there about you know fitness and the importance of it and putting stuff in place for people if they need it because some people like going to the gym some people are great at going to the gym they've got their little things but then there'll be other people who will go yeah actually and and half an hour in in the shift would would be great for me if i could just go down to the gym and in the same time, I, I don't care because, you know, all people go, well, she gets half an hour out of her shift. What do, I, well, what do you what do you struggle with? Do you struggle with putting on crime report statements? We've got in-counts to do. There's always something to do, always someone who needs something. Mm. You know, it's not an exclusive, you know, get out. And I just I think I think it is possible. I do. I, I just don't think nationally yet we've got to the point where there's a real desire for it um you know there are some great things that i've seen um happening around but a lot of it says obviously if you're on response team you won't be able to do this because of you know call demand you know so it's it is hard but i do think that there you know if you did it in in shifts or you don't have to work out every shift even a couple out of your you know a couple of half an hours just to get you in the you know in the in the thing of it you know um but I do think the job can give time. And I think that if they just did it, then I think across the board nationally, you would definitely see people going, oh, actually, I quite enjoy this. I quite enjoy this feeling. And then people go, Joe, you know what? I might have the confidence to not run around the yard. I might go home and run around myself, you know, but I do think that if forces just take that chance, they just do the leap of going, okay, we're going to try this out. I think they'd be really pleasantly surprised um, because it's like with everything. I know I ramble. Carly must be sitting there being like, oh my God, just shut up. But um, <laughs> I, do, I just think it, it isn't everyone who needs it. 
you know it's not everyone so people will go well why you know i don't want to i don't want to do any fitness okay don't then Mm. but i do they've given me the opportunity to take half an hour of my shift to go down to the gym if you don't want to do that then you don't have to take it but you can't begrudge me for doing it Mm. you know carly is there a you know in in for bleep kind is there is what's that utopian moment i think jen's expressed it quite eloquently there in terms of just all forces embracing a culture of health and well-being is that the utopian moment in terms of what you would consider as your organization's success is a is a better embracing of 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 health and fitness and well-being across all departments across all forces countrywide yeah absolutely that would be the ideal wouldn't it um you know but these things i think have to be taken in small steps um you know when you put it like that kind of across all forces across health fitness and well but you know that's a lot isn't it mm. um you know it, and, and i think you know it, it is about you know with health fitness and well-being it's about those marginal gains it's about doing small things that add up to a big thing mm-hmm. um, and I think what you were saying about time is really interesting because social media being that great thing that it is you know that I saw something on Twitter the other day about somebody who was sitting in a meeting and the majority of people in that meeting were on rest days and there were bosses in that meeting that didn't say anything about the fact that the majority of the people there were on rest days mm. so you know, yes, it is difficult to allocate people time within duty time um, to to do fitness, difficult, not impossible. Um, But we also need to bear in mind that we're not just taking people's duty time, um, you know, because we're cops and we like to make things work and we like to keep the wheel on and we like to, to, to make things run smoothly. So we do give more than just our duty time a lot of the time. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's it's a, a positive thing, but it is something that happens and we need to acknowledge. So not only are we not giving people time during duty time um, to work on their health, fitness and well-being, but we are also taking time away from them, from them on their rest days. Um, so that's additional time that they don't have to take that personal responsibility that we've been talking about in relation to health, fitness and well-being. So for me, I think it's about, um, you know, the marginal gains and forces taking those opportunities to encourage people to to make those those gains during duty time. And Jen and I ran our first Bleak Kind Expo earlier in the year down at Portsmouth, along with um, Ali Booker, who's a nutritionist, um, sorry, a dietitian. She'll kill me for calling her a nutritionist. <laughs> she's a dietitian with a, with the MDP and she's she's an amazing lady. Um, and she helped us to run our first Bleak Kind Expo. And when we talked at the beginning about what we wanted to achieve, we decided what the most need was um was around okay how do i do all this health fitness and nutrition stuff against the backdrop that we've talked about busy family lives busy shifts menopause maternity um mental health problems paternity um you know health issues injuries uh, you know how how do we achieve that so we we helped the delegates on the um, on the expo to look at realistic things that they could do. So, for example, if I'm you know stood on a scene during my twelve hour shift, what can I do while I'm standing on that scene to advance my health, fitness, and nutrition? 
how can I plan for the shift ahead um, in terms of, of food and making sure I've got, uh, you know, nutritional snacks with me so that I'm not kind of binging on chocolate just to keep the sugar high and, and keep my energy levels running. So that's that's some really easy stuff that forces can help people put in place. Um, you know, there, there's very little done in forces around nutrition, especially, but there's some easy wins to be had there. Um, and easy wins to be had in terms of, you know, if I'm sitting at my desk writing lengthy crime reports and, and whatever, or, you know, answering the the hundreds of emails, actually, what can I do that could to be that little bit more active? Um, you know, so it doesn't have to be, um, you know, as big a task as giving people time during duty time seems to be. Um, one of the things I used to do for a shift that I used to work on was rotate um, some health and well-being time. So on a day shift, I was lucky I worked in a rural area where we weren't busy all the time. Um, uh, you know, but I was able to allocate an hour on a day shift afternoon for shift members to take it in turns to have some time out. And, and the one caveat around that was that that time had to be spent on their health, fitness and well-being. So whether that was sitting, reading a book, going for a coffee and a chat with somebody, going for a walk, you know, whatever that was. But, you know, it had to be spent doing that um, and then kind of that evidence to me afterwards. But again, that's that line manager lottery that we've talked about in terms of there will be line managers who think that that's appropriate, who are happy to justify their actions um you know and can see the benefits of it and there'll be line managers who do who are not of that opinion um and you know unfortunately it it's the teams underneath them that then either benefit or or don't um and, and i guess that's one of the main things in policing that we need to change where around health fitness and nutrition there needs to be that standardization uh, along with the acknowledgement and recognition that long-term shift working declines your physical health you're likely to die sooner than people who have not worked shifts throughout their lives you're likely to be more susceptible to cancers and ongoing conditions you know we want to be able to run around with our grandkids after retirement um so being able to pass um you know a, a, an arbitrary fitness standard may not be the motivation for it um you know but if you said to me at work do you want to come and do this kind of health and fitness type activity because actually if you do um you know you might find it easier to stay healthier for longer to live longer to run around after your kids to enjoy your rest days more um then yeah you've provided me with some motivation there to to do that um you know it's it's not all about what's achievable within the confines of the role so the, the point of this conversation was to bring this to everybody's attention, dispel the myths and to better understand what you fantastic ladies are doing to champion health and well-being. And what I'm hoping this will achieve from the thousands of people that will tune in and listen to this episode is it twigs some interest. It gets people thinking about their own welfare. How could they incorporate this into their work? It may even get line managers thinking more actively as to how they could support their frontline officers and their colleagues in terms of making that time that you you so eloquently put across in terms of giving people the opportunity as long as it's focused on areas to make sure that their health is sustained for the long period during their policing life but long after that equally i've always been incredibly alarmed at the amount of my 
former sergeants when I was very young in service who have all since retired and got very sick after retirement and some of it and it's just come from nowhere but it's just this life you know your body just takes on all this I suppose abuse over years we abuse our bodies so badly in terms of the hours we work the poor food the lack of fitness and eventually your body says enough is enough so I'm hoping that this conversation between the three of us piques some interest ask gets people talking about it proactively hopefully in a nice way because obviously i share this all online and that we continue the conversation going forward but um for those people jen that listen to this for the first time what can they do to get more information what can they do to join up bleep kind how can they reach out and get that maybe a bit of support and encouragement they need from from you fantastic ladies so we have um, our uh, BleepCon Facebook group, um, which uh, you can search. It's a closed private group, um, which Harley and I monitor. It has got a lot of members, but every single person has gone through. Um, they have to answer some sort of questions at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do monitor it very closely. Um, and it's not about being soft and all of that. But if people are, you know, the whole point is it's bleak kind, right? So it's mm-hmm. about supporting people. So we do make sure that we... Uh, warn and remove um, where necessary but you know there's so many people on there who are good people who just need some help I mean in the early stages we had people who uh, I think they were new recruits weren't they in the Met they started meeting up together and Mm. like running together you know and things like that Um, so you can go on Bleak Kind on the Facebook group we are in the process of of, um, getting our website up and running it is set up but we've just got to add a few things um you can contact us on twitter either personally or on the um apps the actual bleep kind um thing um and one thing personally that i i always try to say to people is we will always try to we will try to help you um as a bleep kind as an organization i guess i don't know what we call ourselves really but um but we will always try and put people back in touch with their forces we've got some amazing people um from most forces i would say um and we always want to put people back in contact because that's where the on- we give the outside support. We give the you're not alone, the PTIs, the nutritionists, the the top tips, you know, the different methods that's, that people have found good to train. Or, you know, sometimes it's just a case of someone will post on there. I've got my bleep test tomorrow and I'm really, really worried about it. And then they just get, you know, people going, don't worry, you're going to smash it. And if you don't, then it's next time. Um but we also know how important it is to get that support in force because that's where you are most of the time. So we do try to put people in contact um, with people that we know um, in different forces. Um, I know it's not necessarily just bleak kinds, but obviously a lot of the people um, that we have um, are women um, or new mums uh, going, oh my God, I've had a baby um, or I've had another baby or whatever. Um, you know, so we've got lots of links um, with other support networks. So the Blue Bumps and Babies, which is national, the breastfeeding support, all of those things, because it all, you know, men's forums, men's mental health, perinatal mental health. Um, and it's actually just a really beautiful community. And it's not a place where you're going to log on and find just going we don't want any fitness in the job we just want to be able to get on with what we want you know and all that it's not that you know there's been uh, while we have got this huge platform um that we're really grateful as well um Ollie, and, and i know that sort of carly mentioned it a bit earlier um one of the things that seems to be um assumed is that we were the number one advocates for the 3.7 and almost think that that we've got the power to have to have got that brought in place we had nothing to do with that 
Um, you know, we are just about promoting well-being, fitness, you know, and all of that. We we just want to help people. And I think, you know, we're, we're pretty good at it. And, you know, we've got nearly 4,000 members now. Um, and, you know, we're just we're just growing. We've got support from a fantastic um, group called Call for Backup. They help with mental health side of things, um, you know, so there's so much out there. Um, and we link people to all of those things as well, because it's such a safe community for people to come to because they know that they're not going to get the well, you shouldn't be in the police force. You're a disgrace. People open up actually about other things about if they're struggling and then we can signpost them to the other support networks that which we're all really um, closely involved in as well. Um, so, yeah, just just drop us a line, drop us a message. You know, if, if you don't want to join the Facebook group, because a lot of people don't have it, then we can still signpost you to support or people in your force who will be able to help you. So where I can help, obviously, um, for the remainder of Series 3, um, you fantastic ladies will be Episode 9 or 10 in Series 3, is that onwards from that, halfway through every episode, I'm going to do a bleep kind advertisement so people understand what your organization is doing, how you're helping people, and how people can reach out for support so that we can make the message go far and wide so everybody can hear it. So that's sort of, if I can offer that as my support, as sort of getting the message out far and wide, I think it starts to get people thinking. And more importantly, those people that have sort of worries and anxieties around health and fitness and want a supportive group, I can think of no better way than reaching out to you ladies and, and the group that you've created so thank you ever so much um, for everything that you're doing, both with Bleep, Bleep Kind and your service to our communities in Northumbria and in London, because the job uh, is becoming harder and harder. And I know it's relentless and you have, you know, families and, and young children to chase around and to support and husbands. And it's all full on. So thank you ever so much for what you've done. It's uh, it's great. Carly, any closing words from yourself? Um, I, yeah, I would just like to urge everybody to use this opportunity that's been presented to us with, um, you know, the the statements around 3.7, to use it as an opportunity to, to move things forwards. It's really easy, isn't it, to sit on our backsides on Twitter and to criticise and to judge and to make ill-informed comments. But actually, it's a real opportunity for people to get behind you know, the sentiment of what we're trying to do, which is actually to improve the working conditions for all of us. Mm. Um, and I know there's people going, sitting there going, it's too difficult, it's too hard, uh, the bosses won't listen, we don't have the time, there isn't the money. Yeah, we could we could all sit back and, and make those comments, but actually, do you know, if we don't try, then those things aren't going to happen. Um, you know, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror at the end of the career, at, at the end of my career, and say I tried. Um, you know, and, and it, you know, just Jen and I, two sergeants from two different forces in the UK, have managed to achieve so much already. Um, and I think we have managed to achieve a lot. Imagine how much more that could be. Um, you know, with, with all of our colleagues behind us. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be my parting message. You know, let's stop the negativity around it. Let's accept it for what it is. Let's understand truly what's going on here. And let's work um, together to make things better. Well, on behalf of myself and my little podcast, thank you both ever so much for coming on the show today. I think our 45 minutes to an hour has flown by. It's been so helpful for me to better understand 
sort of what those expectations are and how we can better support police across the UK in, in sort of expanding and embracing a culture of health and well-being and fitness and ensuring that our people are safe and strong, you know, throughout the service and long afterwards. So thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. This podcast is brought to you by the Public Safety Foundation. The Public Safety Foundation and its supporters are on a mission to make the UK the safest place to live, work and raise a family. This crime-fighting mission is one that many of Protect and Serve's guests have contributed to. Find out more and join those already supporting the Foundation's mission by visiting publicsafetyfoundation.uk. Protect and Serve is an independent podcast hosted, produced and edited by Oliver Lawrence.